This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com host. Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like, it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. And this is the Goop Podcast, where we bring together thought leaders, scientists, healers, creatives, and seekers. I'm so grateful to be able to interview these bright minds and share their incredible wisdom with you. And I especially love listening to the conversations that are led by my brilliant co-host and friend, Erica Chitty. Erica is the CEO and co-founder of Loom, and she's been a part of the Goop family since the beginning days. We believe that simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. I'll let Erica fill you in on her guest today. My guest today is Sophia Rowe. Sophia is a James Beard award-winning chef and the Emmy Award-nominated host of Counterspace, a TV show that uses food as a lens to explore topics like sustainability, climate change, relationships, and our changing world. Sophia and I sat down and talked about her journey into the culinary industry, what we can look forward to in season two of Counterspace, which is out now, and the places she loves to eat in NYC. Let's get right to my chat with Sophia Rowe. Let's just like dive right in. I'd love to just start with your background and your approach to food. Can you tell us a little bit about how that became an interest or passion for you? What inspired you to go into food in the first place? Yeah. So I grew up a pretty hungry kid. So I grew up in foster care. So my relationship with food at the very beginning of my life was that I just really didn't have enough. (laughs) So, and when I did have food, I had to share it with a lot of people. So I guess I was always really curious as to why some people had food and other people didn't. I was always pretty confused as to why like my high school and middle school were like on orange groves but there would be like boxes of oranges coming in from like Guatemala I never understood that you know like I was just a really curious kid I was alone a lot because of the nature of just kind of just this feral kid I wasn't really watched no one was really like concerned about self you know I was very much just like alone as a kid and I went to college dropped out of college because it just had no structure I didn't have a way to get to class you know, I was trying to find a job and having a job and full time. And I was on, I had financial aid. It was just a mess. So 
I just needed a job. So there was a restaurant that was hiring and I lied, said I knew how to use a knife when I really didn't, you know, got the job. I was 19 years old. And then there I was working in this Vietnamese restaurant. And then I learned, learned how to use a knife. I learned how to like work in a kitchen. And then it just became like, I like working in a kitchen, so I'm going to work in a kitchen. And that's, that was, I was 19, I'm 34 now. I've been a cook for almost 15 years. So it's the only thing that I've ever done. And my relationship to food is that I feel like everyone should have it and not everyone does. And that should really make a lot of people upset. So that's, that's like the me making it as short as I can. So let's talk about food and feelings, because I think some of the things that you just brought up in terms of growing up, not having enough food, always wondering why that was the case. When and how did you get to a place where you felt comfortable sharing your story? Because I think with people that are visible, we don't always understand the motivations behind why they're doing what they're doing. Why was it important for you to share your personal story? I don't think it was important for me to share my personal story. I think I just did. And I realized that, wow, a lot of other people grew up in foster care or have a parent who's a drug addict or grow up food insecure or, you know, it's, it's kind of like I moved to New York when I was 24. I remember being so ashamed of my childhood and ashamed of my background. And then, you know, you're working in a kitchen, you make friends and you realize like, oh my gosh, Everybody has like something. I think it's like, what is it? One in five people have an addict in their family. You know, it's like, I am not the only person. And so I guess it just became kind of easier for me to talk about because it felt like a thing that a lot of people had going on. It's it's like, yeah, why don't actually more people talk about this? If all of us have this problem, if so many of us um, grew up poor and so many of us don't know our dad, never met the guy. Guy, Dad was in prison. Mom is a drug addict. Mom was in and out of jail. Mom was trying to, single mom, trying to feed five kids. Like if so many people have that narrative, it felt strange to me that I was ashamed of it. Like I shouldn't be ashamed of it. This is a, this is a really bad, normal thing. And like, how horrible is that? That that's so normal. So I guess I started talking about it on Instagram back when like Instagram wasn't what it is now. I mean, like 2016, 2017, kind of, you know, working as a private chef and just like speaking openly, just like, man, like I'm, I had horrible upbringing. So like I make really bad relationship choices. I, you know, have a really kind of messed up view of what love looks like, what my life looks like, what I deserve, what other people deserve. You know, it's, Feelings are really tied into everything that they do. Since we need food to survive, it would only make sense that feelings were wrapped up into what we eat, you know, and how we eat and when we want to eat and who we want to eat with, et cetera. Yeah. I think too, you know, growing up in a house where there was a lot of chaos and there was addiction and mental illness and, you know, just generally an unsafe environment. I, totally resonate with that. And I think, you know, I've also been, you know, open with my journey, less so about my family of origin and the trajectory from there, but also just about my health experiences, because I do feel like people shouldn't feel isolated in what they're experiencing. Is it cathartic for you to share about this? I mean, it's really, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to say like, oh, we're trauma bonding, but like, I don't know why that's bad. As long as no one's getting hurt, as long as you guys are in a place where there's consent, where I'm, hey, I want to talk to you about this really rough thing I got going on. Is it okay for you to hear that? You know, I think 
I've had so many really beautiful conversations with people who are my friends now, my own therapist, where we have been able to connect over a really terrible thing that happened. Now, it, they might have had a terrible thing happen that isn't the same thing as mine, but we are able to come together and support one another through that. I mean, we're humans. We're really not meant to do this whole human thing alone. I know that we've gotten really siloed and pandemics have made people very kind of like isolated and siloed and we all go in our little bedrooms and we do our things in our rooms. But like, I just don't feel like as animals, that's what we're meant to do. I feel like we are designed to lean on one another. We're designed to seesaw with one another. You know, like when your neighbor needs the sugar, you give them the sugar, you need the flour, you, you give them the flour. Like, I feel like that's a very human way to be. And I've actually felt like closer with people than I ever have being able to sort of openly talk about. I'm not saying you need to spill your guts to someone. There's boundaries. That's really important. But I think if you can find space and time with someone and, and you feel safe with them and they feel safe with you. Yeah, I absolutely feel like it's it's been rewarding for me to talk about the things that I've experienced in my life. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com host. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. So let's talk about Counterspace. Second season, it's out. What can people expect from the season? How did you come up with the themes, the topics for each episode? What's it like this season? It's fun. It's a lot of fun this season. I think the difference between this season and the first season is like, a, you know, the first season was like pure pandemic 2020, like skeleton crew made it with like five people, right? Very like Zoom interviews. It was logistically just really tough to actually like the like the logisticals of like the mechanics, right? Like actually making a show was not easy in 2020. I think this particular one, I got to travel. I actually got to go and experience people. I interview a fisherman in a boat in the middle of the ocean. I'm not like on a Zoom call, you know? So I think we wanted to have conversations about future food because I feel like that's a conversation everybody is having. We also wanted to talk about sort of unorthodox ways of eating, ways that maybe some people would say are disgusting, but ways that indigenous people have been eating for forever. This idea of eating roadkill, right? That sounds absolutely disgusting to some people, but there are people people in this country that live off of roadkill. That's that's how they get their food, you know? They believe that they are dignifying an animal's death when they do that. So I think that's a really interesting topic. In the first season, we talked about eating insects, you know? A lot of people feel weird about that, but more than 2 billion people globally already do that. It's already part of their culture. So we get into yucking people's yams, 
We get into like big conversations, right? Like kelp farming, future farming is something in the ocean, like the future new food, right? I, you know, everyone's obsessed with mushrooms right now. I think the future food is going to be seaweed. I think we're going to start seeing seaweed in more things than ever before. And I don't just mean like snacks that your kids eat. Like, I mean, you're really going to start seeing materiality, like materials made with seaweed. Like truly, I think kelp farming is going to be everywhere very, very soon. But then we also have like pop culture conversations. Like why the hell does every celebrity have a tequila company? That's so weird to me. Like I wanted to understand that, you know? And then we have like supply chain or global value chain conversations, which are my favorite conversations to have. It's really interesting that there's arguments, you know, big chefs have arguments over like, does the best chocolate come from Munich or does it come from Zurich or does it come from Sweden? It's like the best chocolate comes from Africa, right? Or South America, (laughs) you know? So what are you talking about? You know? So we also just have those, like, we want to set the record straight, right? Like almost hundred percent of people drink coffee and or eat chocolate. And almost, you could say that a hundred percent of the United States doesn't grow those things with the exception of Hawaii and a little bit in South Florida, those things are not coming from the United States. So there's a lot, it's a lot, it's a big doozy of a season for sure. What episode impacted you the most? Oh my gosh. I mean, they all impacted me in some way. I mean, we talked about, I think it's more about like what conversations impacted me a lot. I, I, I interviewed Michelle Zahner of Japanese breakfast and she wrote crying in H Mart. And we talked about breakfast going on tour. What is breakfast? Right. It's the first meal that you eat in a day, but you're not always eating that meal in the morning. Right. Like what if you're a farmer and you're waking up, you know, to harvest dates at, at 11 p.m. Like maybe 11 p.m. is your breakfast. But we kind of connected over mo- mothers. You know, she lost her mother unexpectedly to cancer. And I lost my mother very young unexpectedly to drug addiction. And I say lost because she's alive. But like, is she alive? Like, I don't know what my mom is doing. My mom's been a drug addict for 30 plus years. So but I think we connected most on like her mother is her greatest inspiration. And my mom is too, even through all, through it all. Like I'm, I'm inspired. I'm just inspired by that. And so that was a really impactful conversation. Eva Longoria, like talking to her about tequila was really impactful. Like she kind of put me in my place a little bit because I was talking to her. I was like, how do you feel about Kendall Jenner having a tequila company? And she's like, why aren't you asking me about George Clooney's tequila company and how he's made more money in tequila than movies. And I'm like, good point. (laughs) Like, she's like, let that girl do what she's doing. She's a girl doing her thing. So I was like, that's fair. Fair. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so I I interviewed Shaggy. He's exactly who you think he is, which is so funny. But Mm -hmm. talking to him about the impact that Jamaica is this tiny country with just the most massive culture. I mean, what a doozy of a culture, right? So that was a great conversation. And another favorite that really brought me to tears. I mean, it was, it was actually really hard for me to get through the conversation was Michael Twitty. He was just, he's such a food hero of mine. I couldn't even believe that he agreed to have me interview him. And I just was like, I don't even know what I want to, I want to ask him everything. And just being able to talk to him about origin and the origin of our food and, and where food comes from and 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 just the African diaspora and, you know, just really, really amazing. And I think that conversation really just impacted me the most. Maybe the most controversial conversation I had was with Marcus Samuelson. We spoke about fusion and we spoke about authenticity within food. And I asked the question, you know, if, if I take you out to sushi, Erica, and we're going to go out to sushi and we walk in to this Japanese restaurant and every single sushi cook is black. 
what does that make you think? Is that good? Is that bad? Does that make the place not authentic? We really talk about who's allowed to make what, right? Like who Mm -hmm. is allowed to make? You can be black and be Japanese. You know, that's a thing. There are black Japanese people, right? Japanese is not a race, (laughs) you know? So that's probably one that is going to be like kind of like a mind bender for people, but it was, is a very important conversation to have. Mixing of races is super on the rise. And when you start mixing races and mixing cultures and mixing ethnicities and mixing heritages, then food and culture start getting mixed as well. You know, so that was a really interesting conversation. The wait is over. That's right. Season five of The Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster, they're punching it into overdrive. Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all new season of The Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. So let's talk about cultural appropriation versus cultural appreciation. I think you've really touched in on that, talking about your interview with Michael, even this interview with Marcus. What's your take when it comes to the right way or the wrong way, or even potentially some ambivalence when it comes to what's appropriate around how we consume culture and food? I mean, I'm going to speak in terms of food because that's like, that's my beat. But I think if, you know, going to Thailand for a month and being really inspired and then coming back and being like, I want to open up a Thai restaurant. I don't know that that's a bad thing. Right. I think it's also just like people understanding the DNA of a restaurant. Right. There are a million people that can own a restaurant, but it's more about how you staff your restaurant. Right. The DNA of your restaurant. And I think when we talk about like, okay, Havin Mare is a great example because that's Marcus's new restaurant. He's a Swedish Ethiopian guy, right? So he wants to open up this African themed restaurant. He's well within his right to do that, right? Like he can open up in any kind of restaurant he wants. But his idea is I don't want to just give opportunities to black African folks. I actually want to give them equity, right? Like I actually want to give them a piece of this restaurant. You know, I love the way that he said that. It's like if you're going to do something, it's not, it's not enough to just open up a Thai restaurant and hire Thai people. It's like, what are you actually giving, right? What are you actually going to give to your staff, right? Are you going to let them have creative control? Are you going to actually let them feel like this restaurant belongs to them? Are you actually going to give them a piece of it? You know, I think those are really important things to consider. It's always, this, this conversation is really hard for me in general. It's like, even back like culinary school days, it's like, oh, a woman in the kitchen, like you belong, you belong in, in pastry, like baking cakes. It's like, wait a second. The origin of all of us is a woman slaving away in the kitchen, cooking for everybody. And then suddenly it's like, no, kitchen, this is a man's place. You know, I guess in within food, I've just always kind of felt like men thought that they ran shit and thought that it was their place to be. This is my thing. And I, I I know this like isn't quite your question, but I'm thinking about it just in terms of food. Like I'm talking about a chef that is from Indiana, right? That's going to culinary school and learning like French techniques and saying that, and then opening up a restaurant and saying that this is the right way to do it. I went to this school. I went to this place. This is how you do it, right? Well, that's not how you do it everywhere. Who says that that's the right way? 
right? Like what institutions do we respect as the correct way versus incorrect way, right? Like why is chicken only correct if it's golden and crispy on the outside? Because that's how you've had it. When you go to China, that's not always necessarily how you're going to eat chicken. They boil chicken there and the skin is not, not everywhere, but in a lot of places, the skin is not crispy and golden, you know? So I think when we're talking about like appreciation, you know, any kind of like cultural appreciation looks like education, looks like actually understanding what am I talking about? Where is this from? Where is this native to? This is huge for me in the wellness industry in particular. Who created this protocol, right? Who invented this protocol? Is this protocol mine? Or does it belong to any number of ancestors that aren't mine? You know, I think it's about education and I think it's giving credit where credit is due. And I also think there's like a give back quality. I don't know, like if you are calling yourself a shaman, all right, if you're calling yourself a healer, right? And you learned these techniques from a tribe in Guatemala, I don't know, are you giving them a, per- a percentage of your proceeds? Are you building up this tribe? Are you, ma- are, you, are you letting people know about this tribe? Are you creating awareness and protection for this tribe? That's a very big conversation, especially when you're talking about food. For me, it's like that. That's like an endless one. That's another show. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting hearing you talk about protocols because I know you share about your health issues, which kind of forced you to stop what you were doing in terms of how you were normally eating and look into alternatives. I've had a very, you know, different, but similar in the sense of having to restructure how I'm thinking about food in my own life. Can you talk a little bit about that and and kind of what protocols or ways of eating are really working for you given your busy schedule and everything that you have going on? I think what works best for me now is to eat whatever the fuck I want, Erica. I eat whatever I want. And that is, it's like, it's like Nina Simone said, like, I am no longer scared of food. I don't have food fear. I live completely without fear. And that is a really wonderful place to be. I, for a very long time as a cook, was so anxious that I actually with, I really kind of like hurt my own skill set, right? Like I was so, I was so terrified of eating bread that I stopped making it. I was so terrified of eating a a cake that I wouldn't make it for clients. You know, like I just became so enraptured in my own food fears and food anxieties. And what is this food going to do to me? And is it going to make me sick? Am I, am I going to have pain? Am I, you know, am I going to have all the, the, the reproductive issues that I've had, you know, are those things going to come flooding back? And I think it was really the pandemic. I think 2020 was when I was just like, you know, there was this weird kind of food scarcity vibe going on. It's like actually food scarcity, right? Like, okay, like supply chains are either halted or very, very paused or dulled. I don't want to go to the store if I don't have to, because it's just like not safe, you know? And so that, that really created a version of myself that was like, you know, like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to eat. I'm just going to eat simple. I'm going to cook for myself. I'm going to eat. I'm going to feed my partner. I'm going to feed his kid. And we're just going to let, let this ride. And I really, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, oh my God, I just ate a sandwich and it didn't kill me. My belly didn't get upset. And, you know, here I am a chef who's created so much food anxiety that I've limited myself to even enjoying the food that I cook, that I make. 
So really for me right now, my biggest food rules is I try to eat as regionally as possible. So unless a client's asking for it, it's January in New York. I'm not eating a papaya. I'm not eating a pineapple. I'm not eating an avocado. I'm not eating any food that doesn't grow in New York. You know, like I just find that that's like what's best for me. I think it's also kind of been like what's best for the planet. I think it's for me in my life, like it's better for the planet for me to eat eggs from my farmer friend Hallie's farm. She's got chickens an hour away. Like I feel like that's kind of better. And so, yeah, it's, I feel so good. I feel like I eat when I'm hungry and yeah, I feel very set free, which is cool. Where do you love to eat in New York right now? Oh my God. Oh, there's a place called Pla de Fee. I love that place. It's in, what do you call that? Like, it's like almost Bed-Stuy, Fort Greene, Bed-Stuy. I love to eat at Wild Air. And at Contra, because my friend Fabian works there. And I just, the food is fun and interesting and creative, you know. I love, just like local, I'm, I live in Bed-Stuy. So I love to just like, you know, grab, like tonight, I'm probably going to have pizza with my family at Saragina, just because like it's Friday and that's like a thing that we do, you know. I love this place called Daughter it's in Crown Heights. Oh my gosh, where else? Okay, so a lot of people freak out about the Slay Dive place. So it's like, it's such a scene. It's such a vibe. Dime Square, whatever. No, forget the wine. It's They have the most amazing food. I just love the food at Le Dive so much. So I love Nami Nori. If I just want to get some like sushi real quick. Thai Diner's cute. Cute if you want to like, if a friend's out of, from out of town is like in and you want to just have like a fun kind of vibe. But yeah. Oh my God. There's just, there's a million places that I'll think of like right when we're done with this call, I'm sure. <laughs> what do you like to do to plug, to unplug and reset? Cause I hear you talking a lot about hanging out with your family, which I'm sure has a lot of nutritive components or yep. provides a lot of nutritive energy and support, but what do you do for you? How do you come down? It's like so boring, but I come down like, I'm not, okay. So I work on my studio, right? So like I'm at my studio when I leave here, I'll walk home. So it's a good 45 minutes walk. So I will walk home. And that really kind of like, and it just, if I've, whatever I've had to deal with in the day, you know, separate from the fact that like, I've probably done something that's my studio is so hot. So it just kind of cools me down, but cools me down physically, cools me down mentally. I'm a big walker. I walk as much as I possibly can. I'm that like girl. That's like, if there's an escalator, I'm like, where's the stairs? Like I'm that girl. But I'm like not a gym girl anymore. Like I used to be a gym girl like pre-pandemic and I'm not really a gym girl. I'm more just like a low impact walker kind of girl. I am, am in low impact all the way these days. So I walk a lot. I listen to a lot of music at home. I'm kind of boring. Like, I, I, like I'm like tomorrow I'm like, go. <laughs> I'm going to like my partner's kids like soccer thing. You know, like I, I, I really kind of enjoying like slowing down, like family time. I'm not a club kid. I, I, you will not catch me awake after 10 p.m. Like I just am not that girl. My biggest vice is like a Lambrusco, you know, like a, a pet nat in the winter time. Like I'm, like, I'm so boring, truly, truly. But it's, it's good for me. You know, I came from a really fucked up, chaotic place. So I'm, I'm trying to create new energy. I'm trying to create new pathways that are in relation to like a parasympathetic. I feel like 
I feel like that has been the best healing for me is really just like teaching myself that you're not missing out. There's no FOMO. Like you're fine. You're just going to walk home. You're going to catch up with friends. I've been doing that more than ever before. And I know it seems really easy, but when's the last time you just cold called a friend? And I do that a lot. And that's been so good for my spirit and really good for my friendships. It feels like my friendships are, you do the cold call thing a few times and then you're just like texting funny things throughout the day. And I don't know, that's just been a really great thing for my personal life. You know, it used to be like, you'd go out and you have drinks, you meet people, but now it just feels like when I do that, there's like day-to-day context. Like I think the other thing I'm really good at is like keeping in good contact with my friends, like than ever before. I'm really good about, I'm a Scorpio. So like sometimes we get a little isolated, you know? So. (laughs) Yeah. I love knowing that you are in more of a reflective, tender, low impact, high contact stage of your life. And I, I've loved just jumping into your world for a little bit. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Of course. This is great. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for joining my chat today with Sophia Rowe. Be sure to check out her new show, Counterspace, which is out now. Thanks again for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the Goop Podcast.